0: You're listening to Melt Banana. They're so hard that by the conservation of hardness in the universe, you won't have any hardness left for your cock. Oh, man.
1: Hello! (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, everybody. Uh, Today's Wednesday, June 13th, and we're bringing you episode 106 at Block Height, 527,297. And that clip was, uh, I guess, the only cock joke we could think of that didn't cross the line into too inappropriate. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think we're already crossing the line a little bit by just going and grabbing Satoshi's artwork there from Satoshi's place.
1: <laughs> but yeah, Mr. Shinobi Monkey here, and it is my pleasure to introduce Mr. Rick.
0: Hey, everybody. Everybody's week's going well. Mm-hmm. Miss
1: Jenny.
2: I hope you feel the burn, Tezos
1: <laughs> and Actix. Hey. Mm-hmm. And uh sadly Nopara is recuperating from some jet lag and uh JW's taking a little bit of a hiatus, uh kind of getting his own thing off the ground, you know, wish him the best of luck on that. But I don't know. Uh we want to get to it and uh Oh my God, SPV is horribly broken. Bitcoin can't work anymore. It's you, you can't trust wallets and Merkle proofs. Ah, but only if somebody's willing to spend millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> so yeah. I, uh, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, Whoops. recursive screen share. Ooh, one second and there we go. So uh, <laughs> I'm betting that everybody's... Uh, seen this weakness in the uh, Merkle tree design for Bitcoin so far and uh, honestly it is not that big of a deal at all and before I really uh, get into breaking it down real quick uh, I just want to let everybody know that this is uh, something that developers have kind of known about since I think like 2015 or 2016. Uh, Luke Jr. was actually on Twitter saying that he figured this flaw out after one of the first scaling Bitcoin conferences. So this isn't some new thing that just popped up out of nowhere that nobody knew about. But um, yeah, it's not really that complicated. I mean, pretty much uh, the problem here is that there's really nothing in a Merkle proof that right now absolutely shows the depth of the merkle tree. Yeah, uh, for those not really too familiar with it, obviously it's just the root branching down um with the hash combinations or nodes <clears throat> until it gets all the way to the leaf edges, which is pretty much all of the transactions. And a single pathway from that root is pretty much just showing inclusion <clears throat> and by itself isn't really uh really anything that can definitively prove the the depth of the entire tree. And so what this allows, if you are willing to throw a few million dollars at ASICs to pretty much kind of grind things out, sort of similar to how ASIC boost works, um, it allows you to take the leaf node or an actual transaction and finding hash collisions with that transaction ID if it's of the appropriate length, um, 64 bytes. You can actually, um, in this diagram here, it kind of spells it out, fake a air quote transaction um, below a real transaction and try to make the legitimate transaction look as just a node kind of higher up in the tree committing to this fake transaction that you insert in the bottom because of the fact that there is no real definitive uh, like proof of the depth of the treaty. And so really what this would kind of involve is a series of tr- transactions utilizing anybody can spend um, pretty much to allow somebody exploiting this attack to mine it themselves and recover all of the funds uh, that are used. And pretty much the, the long and short, if you have uh, enough Bitcoin, I think the figure is a, a couple hundred, you can kind of grind through the amounts in outputs and a small chunk of the uh, lock time field until you find that collision and then structure this chain of transactions to include in your own block and kind of accomplish this, this uh, kind of spoofing. And like, honestly, th- this is really not big of a deal. It, it would require uh, a large amount of Bitcoin upfront, literally millions of dollars plus millions of dollars of investment in ASICs to be able to brute force this in any kind of reasonable time and would only be able to fool SPV wallets. And um, yeah, Pretty much the uh, two solutions to this that don't require any forks at all would be to one, show the uh, Coinbase transaction or provide the data to reconstruct the Coinbase transaction, which would give you a definitive um, depth of the tree. Or in the event of a, uh, a Merkle tree with an odd number of transactions, show the rightmost branches because um in the event of an odd number they pretty much duplicate the last transaction to allow the tree to actually be hashed and that would kind of show you know the two duplicates at the right end that this is also the depth of the tree in the same way a coinbase would and so i mean honestly you can kind of go over uh sergio lerner's blog post about this but this, this really is of no practical concern to anybody the the cost to exploit it versus the gain you could realize from it is just not really practical and at the end of the day it's only really a weakness for spv wallets and no sane person is going to be accepting transactions in in the amounts required to pull this off uh (laughs) without using a full mode to verify it so i mean uh like at the end of the day, this is really more of just kind of in my opinion, an intellectual curiosity and not really anything that would be practically exploited in the wild. Kind of like uh, selfish mining attacks. So <clears throat> dun dun dun. I think that is the shortest uh rant that Shinobi has ever gone on about a technical topic.
0: <laughs> it's like you're saying, you know, it's been, you know, observed for a while now to where it's like uh, kind of understandable that It's going to take a lot of funding to try and actually get something out of that attack. And I don't know. It's just one of those things where to me, it's like once you start getting into this attack in Bitcoin, it's always costing so much money that you really kind of, I don't know. To me, it really is like always, why are you doing this? Because you're trying to destroy the sound money proposition. And you're doing that by wasting a bunch of uh, funds. I, I don't know. To me, it's one of those things where it's like you just really... It's kind of uh, nonsensical to try and attack the you know network and really take it down. I mean, the whole thing with uh, the SPV wallets and, you know, being misguided from, uh, you know, faulty nodes and stuff. I remember when the SegWit2x stuff was going on, there was a lot of discussion about that because I guess it would have been a heck of a lot easier to sort of just take all those nodes and move them onto that chain. That, that's not, I guess it's not even really a similar attack, but... I mean, yeah, I don't know. The Segwit2x thing, I remember there was a bunch of, like, uh, shady stuff going on there where my node kind of couldn't sync all of a sudden because it was getting some bad data. I imagine there's always a little bit of game theory going on there with the participants in that network just trying to, you know, see if they can get an edge somewhere.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, with with 2x, it was pretty much just the concern about miners actually moving over to that and the chain having greater work. And, um, you know, for those who forget Andrea or er, Andrea Schildbach, uh, the, the maintainer of a uh, Bitcoin J the, the library, pretty much most SPV wallets out there use actually by default inserted, um, a few 2X nodes as DNS seeds to pretty much guarantee spv wallets using that that didn't remove it would be kind of cycling into 2x nodes and probably have a few on their peer list so Never forgive never forget And run your own full node mm-hmm. So I guess uh that little short explanation is out of the way uh, Janine's got a few stories in a row to cover. Uh, you want to take it away Janine?
2: Yeah, the um, the first story, which is, uh, you know, the one that inspired a lot of elements in today's uh, uh, artwork. Um, In the last few days, there have been two new things that have grabbed people's attention with regards to the Lightning Network development. Um, Alex Bosworth shared a demo of a pay to email feature called Hashcash that he's building for y'alls, which if any of you are not already familiar with, is basically a monetized microblogging platform to test the Lightning Network. And the interface for HashCash looks pretty simple. You just input a message, click send, and I presume when it's actually up and running, you will be able to send a micropayment of a few cents in order to have your message show up in Alex's inbox or anybody's inbox who implements this. And the reason it's called Hashcash is, of course, um, in reference to the proof of work system that Adam Back made back in 1997 to limit email spam and was one of the precursors to Bitcoin. So it's all full circle. Um, I I enjoyed that reference. Uh, The second thing, which uh, got quite a bit more press uh, in Lightning Network News. Uh, is called Satoshi's Place, and it is a lightning-powered online collaborative artboard made by someone who goes by Lightning Koala on Twitter. Um, He apparently attended the San Francisco Bitcoin Dev Meetup yesterday, so if you were there, you might have met him. Um, This artboard is made of 1 million pixels, which costs about one Satoshi to paint and can be painted over indefinitely, so even if you buy a bunch now to make a picture, someone else can come along after you and fill in the space with something else. Uh, for example, if you want to paint something cons- consisting of 600 pixels, it would cost you about four cents in, US, in Bitcoin priced in US dollar um, at the current price. And as you can see, um, at the moment, there are still a bunch of references on the artboard to people like Jihan Wu and Roger Ver and the Bitcoin wizard and uh, a few logos for different projects like Eclair and uh, various famous paintings as well and other symbols of uh, internet culture in general. Uh, But you know what else early Lightning Network adopters are kind of fond of, apparently? Male genitalia and lots of it. Because as NextWeb pointed out, there was at one point over 100 drawings of something resembling a male sex organ on the board, including ones placed provocatively next to people's mouths. And that number uh, keeps going flaccid. I mean, it's fluctuating. Um, Kamala is (laughs) quoted... Koala was quoted as saying that uh, he did not expect this kind of response, but thinks that it is creative and majestic. Those are quotes. (laughs) Um, Theatrics aside, I I think uh, specifically those quotes were about the male genitalia showing up. Um, Theatrics aside, I think we should be pleased, uh, as David Harding pointed out, that this artistic experiment has not only been working, but it hasn't stressed Bitcoin's block capacity at all. Uh, he tweeted, were all those people opening channels driving up transaction fees? The answer, it seems, is no. Lightning enables silly fun like CryptoKitties, but without killing capacity. So take that, meth heads. Uh, <laughs> um, I, don't really <laughs> see, I don't really see why uh, everyone is so down in the dumps at the moment about the Bitcoin price. Like, come on, guys, what is wrong with you? 600% gains in a year is not enough for you um how about all of you so be, uh, how about I, all of I you think be... jimmy's been playing that bitcoin game a little too long <laughs> uh i think i think you all should be uh more cypherpunk like jameson Lop and elizabeth stark you should hug a bear and share some micropayment dick pics
0: yeah, man, this thing is awesome, honestly. Like, uh, I was digging through it last night and trying to do, like, a BD Block Digest artwork, and, yeah, it wouldn't cost that much, and, like, it's changed a lot since its inception. It immediately went to, you know, all the penis references, and I think that's just, like, that's not necessarily the lightning network. That's just the internet, right?
1: It's, Ranger like, when... punk straw cocks.
0: <laughs> I think the internet is just, like, it's, like, got this natural tendency towards you know sexual objects and uh, racism like those are the two things where those things take off so i mean like initially it took off but i mean like i went and visited it this morning it was completely different and then when we pulled it up just now during the show it is even different again like you're saying you know you can draw over it which is interesting because it seems like uh what in the million dollar uh web page that was built and it was like once you bought the pixel it was it was solid like that's it and uh i don't know it's just an awesome thing and like the whole hash cash to stop email spam another awesome thing and you know like that tweet just said talking about how this isn't really uh bloating the transaction fees or, or you know anything on the actual chain it's it's incredible work like yeah the price may be Somewhere where people aren't really excited about Bitcoin, but there's just a, there's a lot of developments going on that are really interesting to see. And like, you know, this lightning network, it really is going to be the thing that kind of, uh, you know, saves us from all this spam. So it'll be interesting to just keep seeing it getting developed and, you know, things like this. I love artwork. So Satoshi's place. It's rocking.
3: Like I've said all along, you know, it's uh, layer two is going to be nothing but dick pics. And, and here we are. And it's nothing but dick pics and it's fantastic, but I can now see kind of the, this is like that very, just the hint of it as being the very root or basis of like a new kind of internet, like spawning out from here, like uh meshing and incentivizing growth of the network itself instead of like ISPs managing all this work. And I think that just seeing this kind of stuff kind of hints at that
1: in very subtle, small ways. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, ideas for improving this that I've seen floating around out there and kind of, uh, I don't know, making it a less uh, chaotic. (laughs) Like, for instance, uh, I've seen an idea of, you know, potentially having a um, kind of like a time based limiter where let's say a pixel is filled in and then rapidly filled in again pretty much have like the price for that pixel spike. And then as long as like people are constantly drawing over it, like that price would pretty much go up each time that pixel was filled in until like it kind of calms down. And then after like a timeout, the price start coming down. Or for instance, um, let's say like somebody fills in a pixel, like have the person who drew that um, effectively kind of buy that like a property right and then establish their own selling price where like they would get a cut of the uh the money from whoever filled it in afterwards and just kind of like a, a lot of different ideas on how to kind of play with the economics of it and how that would affect um you know just how uh i don't know i guess how many dick pics pop up and uh, see how uh, how elastic uh the demand for uh, dick pics are in terms of pricing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I imagine when the price goes up, we'll see less of those and more like uh, I don't know. Maybe Satoshi's place will find it's like uh, it's you know a little bit more permanence whenever the price rises.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, dun dun dun! Something you need wanted to comment on a little bit. Some nice yeah. art is not involved. <laughs>
2: yeah so w- once again, nudity is a common theme in this show uh, <laughs> but uh, I wanted to show this because um the the lightning network artboard is actually not the first instance of a you know a art project that incorporates um, Bitcoin transactions in order to fill in or paint pixels. um this is i I don't know what number piece it is. there's been at least two. Um, that I've seen, but um, this is a fundraiser that um, Ross Ulbricht's family did for him where he would send them a pencil drawing that he had made while he was in prison and they would raise money by um, digitizing it and then covering it in a, in this case, a layer of gold squares and each pixel would be, you, you were able to purchase it and that would make it disappear to reveal the drawing that was behind it. Um, and I think you could purchase as many as you want. And obviously each one has a certain Bitcoin amount on it. And so you would send a donation that way. Um, so yeah, I think that's, I think there's a lot of different ways that the now, now that it's, you know, we have this option to use the lightning network and make micro payments. Um, I think more projects like this are going to start popping up because I think it's a really cool way to not only interact with art, but also it makes it, um it makes it a lot easier for artists to actually get money for their work uh if you kind of gamify it in this way
0: right that's where it's like the content creation market has been very hard on artists and everybody just like actually getting paid for their work and so i don't it is amazing it is like you know maybe we are starting to see this uh you know, second internet pop up where it's like, you know, there's an, there's an actual cost tied to things. And right now it's like a uh, very, you know, still in beta things are getting, you know, just pushed out right now as far as uh, implementations. So, but I mean, you know, yeah, there's like an actual Bitcoin cost to the end of this stuff. So, I mean, it should get rid of a lot of the spam and it should help reward some people that are, uh, you know, currently not getting their, uh, I don't know, their penance for their artwork, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, it really is going to be a fucking weird experience seeing how people kind of apply, you know, micropayments to different things because it's, like, it really is just opening a whole new door. Like, when you start making it practical to make payments of these, like, sizes, like, it's, it's literally just the wild west like whatever you can come up with wherever your imagination goes you can attempt to monetize it and actually see how the market reacts to it like see if people will price or value these kinds of things and i mean like i'm just like i'm just imagining something like this on steroids once 4chan gets their hands on it
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. And I'm thinking about, yeah, the same thing. It's just like, what can you do with microtransactions and all this sort of like different areas of content creation and just the different ways that you can, uh, you know, test these markets and see how they work and if they're going to be more efficient than the traditional
1: models, which I'm thinking they will. Mm hmm. I mean, it's like it's it's going to get fucking weird. <laughs> Let's get yeah, weird. I guess. Uh, mm hmm. Uh, before I pass it off to you, Rick, I guess I'm just going to dive right into this real quick. I was planning on just kind of mentioning it at the end, but figured it kind of fits in right here. But I saw this post on um, Reddit a little while ago and thought this was actually a pretty uh, a pretty nice idea of how to kind of apply lighting networks. Like, you know, we've already kind of seen... Um, the y'all's inbox that Janine just covered and things like earn.com well somebody's here um here, what is it brain hacker um is proposing the idea of pretty much applying this kind of spam filtering to actual phone calls with kind of the concept of having a uh, a payment required to actually allow a call to go through in the first place and then some kind of time threshold like two minutes or something where if you actually stay on the phone for that length of time then it would pretty much refund the amount you know kind of showing you actually like consider this a legitimate phone call not some kind of spam and you know this you know where else can you kind of apply this kind of spam filtering because i i don't know about the rest of you but i am really starting to lose my fucking mind (laughs) these early morning phone calls from telemarketers to my cell phone. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, it's like, it it is literally against federal law to pretty much, like, telemarketer call somebody's cell phone. Not not only that, but I mean,
3: have you been seeing the patterns and the trends where they're using, like, the local area codes to target people now? Like, it's Mm -hmm. absolutely... Oh, yeah there there should be protocol or at least some kind of limitation against that that's ridiculous like people should be calling from the the codes that they're in basically i mean yeah you could go out to another area or you can ask to have uh, a phone number from another area but i mean it just it just seems ridiculous the way that that's working right now it's like what is going on with the telephone system
0: yeah, I mean, it's just another place where there's definitely a little bit too much uh just spam running through. So, it'd be nice to clear that up. Maybe you have just like a Bitcoin phone sitting there where when that phone rings, you know, okay, I can answer that phone. The other phones, it's going to be BS.
1: Mhm. I mean, it's you know, it's it's like just like take it to like the most absurd extreme. Like like you know, getting access to a public building. And I mean, you know, it's, I don't know, it's probably a bad idea, but, you know, even an in instance of like, you know, public services, like th- they get fucking crank calls like all the time. I mean, like there's just like anywhere there is just a huge noise to signal ratio, you can plug this kind of thing in and really just, I mean, like, In the world we're living in today, like with the amount of information being created and propagated, like there really is no other viable solution to kind of sort that in my mind right now, aside from just webs of trust, (coughs) which we've seen historically have big problems scaling to kind of filter that noise out. I mean, like nothing works like introducing an actual monetary cost to something. Oh, so what
3: I meant by the area code thing was that uh, they're matching not only the area code, but the same three first digits of whatever uh, number you're using, usually. It's a pattern that I've been noticing in a lot of the spam calls. So they, they get familiarity in the number because, oh, it may be a relative or someone else who has, uh, you know, who got their phone at the same time or something, right? So it looks semi-familiar. So I think that's why that tactic's being used, but it, it's just really annoying because they can't be successful doing this. It, it just to me, it's like harassment. Like, where's the harassment laws?
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's like it is literally against federal law <laughs> to pretty much cold call people on their cell phone and like explicitly with like I've been getting a lot of political campaign calls and shit. And just the, the fucking audacity of that is beyond me. Like it is literally actually like people involved in a political campaign just blatantly violating federal law to pretty much harass voters. Like it's fucking absurd. This is
0: why we need Bitcoin and why this is like, really, it's like, I don't know. Uh, We're never really going to get the answer from that side. It's just like, uh, you know. I mean, they're going to try and always get you to vote their way or buy their thing. And, you know, there's not really anybody to try to, but we create these solutions that can fix these problems.
2: Well, uh, speaking as the person who is mostly phone free, I have a dumb phone. And the worst, I mean, I, I have it on silent most of the time. And I think the only times I've ever gotten calls when I've actually checked calls is from random people who just call the wrong number i don't think i've gotten any any uh scam calls like that um so (laughs) i i do not have this i'm aware that other people have this problem but i do not personally have this problem because my my solution my solution is to not use a phone and if i do use a phone at all i don't i give it out to a very small number of people um so <laughs> you're ahead of that kind of or. fixes it
1: <laughs> that's literally what woke me up this morning <laughs> i i got a fucking spam call from a solicitor like 20 minutes or something before my alarm was gonna go off <laughs> like that, that like literally half of the time that is what wakes me up in the morning
0: yeah it's so prevalent really i don't even get mad at them anymore i'm just like all right wrong phone number or hanging up and It'd be nice to have like a dumbed down phone and sort of just know that whenever I get a call, it's something that's relevant. But yeah, got to wait for that Bitcoin phone.
1: Yeah. I, I literally just answer the phone and just whistle as loud as possible in their ear until they hang up. <laughs> it's pretty much just what I do at this point. <laughs> but I don't know, to move past the woes of, of, uh, the spam calls, <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I, I kind of goofed up the story order. You, you want to take us through this uh, referendum in Switzerland before we pass it off to Rick, Jeannie? Yes,
2: yeah, so uh, um, this is a... bit of an old story it happened three days ago uh it's now old Uh, but on june 10th uh, switzerland did something that not many if any countries do in the world which is they held a referendum on the fundamental structure of their monetary policy Uh, and because switzerland is a direct democracy uh if at least 50,000 people sign an initiative to either introduce a new law or challenge a law passed by the parliament um, then a national referendum is triggered and the initiative that was just voted on was called uh, popularly the so- Sovereign Money or Vogeld Initiative. And the crux of what was voted on, at least from what I can see, um, has not really been explained well in the media or even by the campaigners. Uh, which is why I think uh, I wanted to like clarify a bunch of things about it. Um, So the sovereign money website in their statement about the results of the referendum says that the vote was about the privatization of Switzerland's money creation. And while this is technically true uh, in the spirit of the vote, most people are not familiar enough with how the financial system works to make the distinction between credit liabilities and money. And that was not clearly explained uh, in a lot of the stuff that I looked at. And so this vote was about, in actuality, it was about whether private banks should retain their ability to operate with fractional... ...lending out more money than they hold, Um, or if the Swiss central bank should be given a monopoly on the ability to generate electronic forms of credit as well so they're not generating physical money that that's not the what the referendum was about it was about should private banks commercial banks have the ability to create credit which is essentially you know inflation of the electronic form of money um because in the you know in electronic world there's there's not much of a distinction uh even though there is legally credit clearly has a different distinction from actual money Um, because it's a liability and not a positive asset. And so the idea behind the sovereign money initiative was that if the central bank of Switzerland held this monopoly, then financial crises would be less likely. And this is a quote uh, that I think summarized it well from Reuters Breaking Views, um, where they said the idea that bank deposits should be backed by safe assets is not new, but has enjoyed an understandable revival since the 2008 crash. However, no modern economy has attempted to put this theory into practice. The Swiss sovereign money initiative, known locally as Vollgeld, would therefore, uh, which translates to, I think full money, um, or I think, yeah, because full is full um, in German, would therefore be a radical experiment. The basic idea is that the Swiss national bank uh, should have a monopoly over creating electronic money, such uh, just as it does over physical notes and coins. This exposes a crucial but little understood difference between uh, central bank reserves and deposits that customers entrust to commercial banks. We tend to think of both as money. They can can be both used for payments and converted into physical cash. But while the central bank can always honor its claims, regular banks cannot. This makes lenders vulnerable, vulnerable to a sudden and potentially devastating loss of confidence. So that was Basically, the perspective of the sovereign money initiative that was trying to get people to vote to approve that the Swiss central bank should take over that role as well and not leave it to private banks. So interestingly enough, the Swiss government actually opposed uh, this initiative. They were opposed to the idea that the Swiss national bank should be given a monopoly on this, which I thought was interesting. Um, And the result of the vote, by the way, was about uh, 25% approval and 75% rejection, so it did not pass. Um, The day after the referendum, there was an article in Forbes titled, Almost 500,000 People in Switzerland Voted for a Bitcoin-like Financial System. And while it is true that the journalist who wrote the article cites a number of influential figures in the initiative, including... Uh, The Swiss National Bank president and a board member of the group who proposed the Vogeld referendum, Uh, they were giving praise to cryptocurrencies, blockchains, and distributed ledgers. Um, I think this Forbes journalist misrepresented the extent to which the result of this referendum was a statement about Bitcoin because Bitcoin was not in any way part of the referendum. Uh, and the referendum wasn't even about, you know, whether to limit the money supply like Bitcoin does. Um, now don't get me wrong, Switzerland and Swiss banks compared to other Western countries at least are very receptive to Bitcoin. But I think the meaning of this referendum result was misrepresented. Um, If we have any Swiss people in the audience, though, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. I don't think the current fractional reserve system is optimal in the slightest, but the idea of giving authority over money or credit creation to a central bank is not exactly a position that fits uh, in a Bitcoin-like financial system, because as Ian Griggs said years ago, one of the innovations of Bitcoin was that anyone could participate in the money creation process as long as they followed a well-defined set of rules agreed upon through consensus. And so since there, this wasn't really a referendum to limit the money supply, that's not a Bitcoin-like financial system. And saying that a national bank should have a monopoly over that, not really, not really that either, because even the article that Satoshi included in the Genesis block was about how central banks can do fractional reserve too, like there's nothing stopping them from doing it, uh, just because they're, they would be the sole, per, the sole entity responsible does not uh, stop that from happening. Um, so I just thought it was interesting how Bitcoin was brought into this story. Uh, because, uh, I didn't really see evidence of it being there outside of some of the people saying that they, you know, approved of Bitcoin and either, either they don't understand how Bitcoin works or the journalist who was quoting them was taking their quotes out of context, which I think is probably more likely
0: yeah i mean uh i was looking at this and um yeah it didn't really uh i guess have that much to do with bitcoin i just think um maybe uh it has to be though that like the whole bitcoin and and cryptocurrencies in general have like just put out there that you know the way that the current system is run is a problem and we'll maybe start seeing more of these you know people trying to counter that problem i mean You know, here in the U.S., they've talked about maybe going back to the gold standard just because it's something that they can maybe, you know, say that it's not as bad as uh, the current situation with just runaway inflation. So, I mean, like, uh, while you're right, it's like maybe it's not that much uh, to do with Bitcoin. I do think that it is a lot to do with like Bitcoin has helped sort of push this into the consciousness of like there's a problem with the way your banking system is being run. And um you know, maybe that's why five hundred thousand people said that, you know, they kind of agreed to it, even though, you know, it wasn't really well put together or campaigned and you know the government was against it. And I mean it still had a lot of people vote for it just because they know that the current situation is not ideal. And so um yeah, I guess it's not uh, you know, it's not refined. It's like the first that sort of come up as far as a referendum towards like a country's banking and monetary system in a long while, and I think maybe that's why they threw Bitcoin in the title. But um, you know, that's just my own speculation as to why he did that. But uh, I mean, really, I'm just yeah, I'm excited to see the the discussion about it. I'm excited to hear people around here say that you know we should maybe move back towards the gold standard or something to where it brings in a competition to where the banking system understands like okay it's not just a runaway we own the game situation anymore like we've got to dial it back and we've got to get competitive because this situation could uh it could run over us you know like we could uh they could be like we've been saying for a while is like um you know bitcoinization could just sort of take over and sort of leave them just um irrelevant which i mean like we know that's the way it's going but i mean it could happen a lot quicker if they don't get competitive So maybe that's, we'll see more of these type of deals in uh, different countries.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really the, the, the biggest takeaway here is that they're actually looking at the flaws in the financial system. I mean, you know, in America, it's, I don't know, either you just have no clue what's going on or you just scream the Fed is evil because Rothschild conspiracies and don't actually understand really any of the underlying dynamics as far as how things actually work.
2: Yeah, and I also, maybe it would be a good time to also bring up the other article that regarded Switzerland, which was about how there's some commercial banks who are coming out and saying they're willing to work with uh businesses dealing with cryptocurrencies um which i also think was another story that was kind of misrepresented as well of course it was in a, it was a bitcoin.com article um so no surprises there uh but the i think the crux of that article was basically that you know i mean it doesn't really surprise me i don't know why it's news because i've already heard that banks in switzerland were willing to work with businesses that deal with cryptocurrencies. Um, I guess they're just now being more, m- more enthusiastic about that position. Um, so we have one commercial bank called, uh, Hippotech I don't even, Hippo bank. I don't know how to pronounce that. It's even hard for me. <laughs> we, have, anyway, we have a commercial bank in Switzerland saying that they're willing to, um, you have businesses come to them and have accounts with them that deal with cryptocurrencies. And that's basically it. And they've gotten, uh, supposedly they're either looking for clearance from FINMA, which is their financial authority in Switzerland, or they have gotten clearance to do this. So it doesn't really surprise me again, like Switzerland's very receptive to Bitcoin.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's really like, um, kind of just like, yeah, good example, I guess, of just like how Swiss, Switzerland is kind of taking the lead in this whole like uh, revolutionary banking thing. But uh, you just sort of gave me a perfect segue into my stories there with uh, India because uh, the Reserve Bank of India there, they uh, a few months back, I think you guys might have remembered they kind of uh, just had a knee-jerk reaction. And uh, back in April, they said uh, the Reserve Bank of India, this is... We're not talking about Switzerland anymore. India said, uh, you know, this is back in April. They made this statement. They said, it has been decided that with immediate effect, entities regulated by the Reserve Bank of India shall not deal with or provide services to any individual or business entities dealing with or settling virtual currencies. Regulated entities which already provide such services shall exit the relationship within a specified time, which was three months, I think, back then. A, circ- a circular in this regard is being issued separately and so yeah and then they said uh back in april they said as to why they were doing this they said internationally while the regulatory response to these tokens are not uniform it is universally felt that they can seriously undermine the aml and AF- fatf the financial action task force framework adversely impact market integrity and capital control and if they grow beyond a critical size, they can endanger, endanger financial stability. And in that, back in April, they decided to go ahead and take action against uh, cryptocurrency exchanges and businesses working with cryptocurrencies saying that they've got to wind down, or they call it virtual currencies, you know, um, they've got to wind those uh, those businesses back and they've got to, you know, end those relationships. And, uh, you know, but, um, you know, now that we're... It's been a few months since that. That was back at the beginning of April. We've had some lawyers sort of do some diligence over there and uh, file what's similar to a FOIA here. It's called an RTI, a right to information. Uh, This uh, lawyer, he's on uh, Twitter called Blockchain Lawyer, I think. And, uh, you know, his name is, um, sorry, Varun Sethi. And uh, he's a lawyer based out of New Delhi. And he filed that RTI, which uh, basically showed that the the RBI, the Reserve Bank of India had no uh, real evidence that says like they should be banning this and uh, they should be, you know, closing all these businesses. And, uh, you know, they didn't do any research as far as like what other countries were doing as far as regulatory framework. They didn't do that. And uh, they didn't look into what kind of business was being done there in the country. It was just sort of a, seemed like a knee-jerk reaction to, just the space blowing up and not knowing what to do about it. And uh, you know, it's caused some troubles there in India. I know that Unocoin and a lot of those uh, exchanges over there had some real worries whenever this information came out, but you know, we got this lawyer over there working the case and um, it looks like, you know, they're getting some pushback now, as far as like, look, you can't just tell these companies, that they can't do business and stifle innovation within the country, just based off of, uh, you know, just arbitrary decision based within the RBI. So it's, uh, it's something where, you know, in Switzerland, like, you know, they're being friendly to these businesses here in India they're much taken a much different approach and, um, you know, it's kind of those things where it's like, it's going to be a problem for them if they, uh, they really did, Push that agenda to try and outright, outright ban these things. Because I mean, you know, I mean, there are countries that are going to be favorable to it, and this really is sort of the future. So if you just try and stifle that innovation, it's putting you in a bad place. And um, so they're getting some pushback for uh, trying to stifle that innovation. And um, hopefully, we'll see within the next couple of months a lot more uh, measured approach from the Reserve Bank of India to where maybe they'll make a statement saying like, we'll allow this, and we're going to monitor this and you know, just a little bit more not so arbitrary to where it's just like, no, we don't want it and we're not going to deal with it. So um, we're banning it. And you got three months to wrap up all your business and in that stuff. So that's uh, that's what's going on in India. And, um, you know, like we're saying, I mean, some countries, they're taking these uh, these new technologies to the forefront and some are pretty scared of it. And, uh, you know, they're going to run away. So that was what's going on there. And, um, I guess just going on, uh, we got these international stories. we got one more from Japan here. Uh, BitBank. BitBank over in Japan is launching a, uh, a loan a loan financial instrument. It's a, it's like, um, I dunno, know, you know, GMO back in, uh, April, you know, they did, they released an instrument to where, uh, you know, people can basically, Put their Bitcoin in an escrow to where they get an interest, but it's only three months where here uh, BitBank is setting up a uh, loan situation where people can, you know, provide this as well. And uh, but it's for a year. It's for uh, one year. You've got to have your Bitcoin locked up and, uh, you know, up to five Bitcoin, you get just a uh, 3% return on the interest on that. So, and um, right now the details are kind of shady on whether or not you're getting that interest by the month or you're waiting the whole year before you get that interest. But um, nevertheless, it is something where, I don't know, it just seems weird to lock up that much Bitcoin for a year and hope that you're going to get that. But I mean, they do offer. 4% 4% for 5 to 10 Bitcoin and 5% for anything over 10 Bitcoin being stored into these. Uh, and how are they being stored? I don't know. That's another question is like uh, the storage on this. It's um, it's not really uh, given that much detail and uh, probably dig a little into how BitBank's current cold storage works. And I'm would be up in the security on that. If they're going to try and convince their customers to come over there, there's a little bit more of a, vetting process if you wanted to participate in this program. And, um, I think, I don't know, BitBank is probably just trying to stay competitive there in Japan. It's like, there's, you know, all these exchanges that are, uh, working with, uh, you know, guide guidance from the country, you know, they got it, uh, fully legalized over there. And so they're trying to stay competitive, I suppose, by creating this instrument and, um, I imagine some people will take advantage of it you know I, I mean i to me i look at it and i just like think you know handing over your bitcoin to an exchange and then like just letting them sit on it for a year and hope for that whole year nothing's going to go wrong with their cold storage just, It just seems a little too risky for me and i don't know it's kind of got a little bit of that era of BitConnect in it to where it's just like i don't know i don't like bitcoin loans in general but You know, that's uh, them trying to stay competitive. And, uh, yeah, that's what's uh, going on in the other parts of the world when it comes to
1: Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, the thing with me looking at this is, like, why the fuck would you, like, take a loan with such ridiculous terms for, like, static interest like this? Like, a lot of exchanges out there have lending programs. And depending on how the market is swinging – you can get a lot more interest than these programs you're working with. I mean, it's, it's just kind of like, not only do you have the counterparty exposure risk, but if you're okay with that, like there, there are places depending on how the market's acting where you can get a lot more return for your money.
2: Well, I mean, keep in mind, like uh, there, the average bank account these days gets like 1% of 1% interest. Uh, on that so three percent to some people looks really good <laughs>
0: yeah and that's you gotta have a lot to just like hope that that three percent i mean yeah like i don't know that's where i was looking at it. it's like three percent that just seems like so low that i don't know who would take advantage of it but i imagine they're putting it together because they have some clients that maybe are you know maybe it's a well-established relationship over there with some Bitbank and some market makers and they know that if they just provide the instrument, they'll buy it or something. Because, yeah, I mean, there's definitely lots of other places you could go to get a better return than 3%. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just the whole loaning thing. It's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Much more. Just buy Bitcoin and hold it. Don't loan it. <laughs> hmm.
1: I mean, it's, I don't know, it's just overall, unless they can lock out, people from using similar products in other jurisdictions, it just seems ridiculously silly to me. (laughs) I mean, like just follow the market and wherever there's the most demand for stuff, like you're going to get the most interest.
0: Yeah, like I was saying, I mean, like it's in Japan and I think they're, 31st by volume and globe, glo- the global volume of Bitcoin. And they're just, I guess they're trying to be competitive. You know, it's like, if, if GMO is offering this, they gotta, they gotta in turn, try and create some instrument to offer it to their customers as well. I mean, that's what, that's what I'm guessing. It's like, they're just trying to be competitive.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, oh, ah, well, but I guess, uh, in other news, um, <laughs> not not really that shocking to me, although I do feel bad for anybody who may have actually invested in Tezos, but KYC requirements to claim your tokens. Yeah, call that. who's coming. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, you know, it sucks and yeah, it is pretty much completely just changing the entire dynamic by which people actually spent money on this, but you know, <laughs> like with all of the shit going on with the Tezos Foundation and the Brightmans pretty much having a giant struggle, uh, where the Brightmans were trying to actually seize control and influence of the foundation and their funds when it was literally explicitly set up to firewall them from any influence over things and the class action lawsuit uh <laughs> pretty much alleging it's a security. I mean they're there really was no other option for them. Like if they did not do this, then they were pretty much just opening the door for them to get pretty much ass raped by regulators. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it, it, it's really like, th- th- there was no way around it, but it's still kind of fucked up. And I mean, like th- the one thing I'm looking at is how is this really going to affect the, the chain period after it actually launches like every single participant in this chain who has access to their tokens is going to be KYC. would Like the, this is a blockchain analytics company's wet dream. Like there will not be a single untagged user on this network.
2: Sounds like Kodak coin. <laughs> right. So. I I mean, I do not, I do not, um, I don't have any sympathy for them, but I kind of, I have some insight into what they're going to have to deal with and why they're dealing with it. Because you may have noticed that they have a, a .ch domain. They are a Swiss foundation. And so people may be wondering, well, if they're in Switzerland, why do they have to do this? Isn't Switzerland like really lax about this? And it turns out that recently um, Switzerland actually, the Swiss regulators decided to impose a restriction on, um, ICOs and tokens. Um, I don't know if they do this for every single token, but I think in the case of Tezos, it was considered one of those tokens that had to go through this KYC process. And the, uh, the cost of, uh, KYC-ing each person in Switzerland is $25 each per person per person. That's like, that may for people who're not familiar with like having to go through the KYC process that's a lot of money because in the US and other places it can be pennies to a few dollars so $25 is a huge amount of money um and Switzerland has basically done that i heard as a way to uh it's like a soft barrier that, you know, only the companies that are willing to pay $25 per person that has to be KYC'd would get through that screening. So it's not a ban like other countries have done. It's like a soft restriction where they have to pay a certain amount of money to KYC each person. Um, or I don't know if they have to pay, but there is there is so much like paperwork and stuff in the whole process for each person costs about $25 that there won't be that many companies going through with it. Cause it's mostly, it, w- it would dry up any profits they were probably thinking of making from this process. So that's what I know about their situation.
0: Yeah. I'm, um, I'm with you. I'm kind of like not too much, uh, sympathy there just because I mean like Tezos was kind of like launched just in the midst of all the hype with the ICOs and everything. And, I mean, uh, it just, yeah, it had all that trouble with, uh, basically like, I guess that one, uh, that one owner kind of running away with the money and, you know, it's, it's already had some issues, but I mean, like its whole start was kind of just, uh, a little bit rebranded. Like, it was like, they'd already done so many, like, uh, fundraising rounds that it was like, we gotta, you know, come up with some sort of rebrand and then start over and, either which way it's like a lot of money being raised and you know the regulators have come in since that uh that launch i mean it has been something where we've seen you know people come in and ask for kyc aml on these tokens and so yeah i mean it's like uh you know they started with the fire and now it's like the firemen are here you gotta you know i don't know you gotta play it the way they want and so they got to get AML KYC for all these guys. So, yeah, it's uh, – I'm going to say, like, it's tough or whatever, but, I mean, that's the game they're playing. So, I don't know. We'll see how they do.
1: I mean, it's like, you know, the, the whole project is a fucking joke. Like, the, the entire system is pretty much set up with, like, voted people effectively acting as the the arbiters of the the entire network functioning and i think there's like a year period where the tezos foundation is pretty much solely in charge of how things go on the network and there's like after that some kind of process that they'll go through to either replace them or fill them in with other people or allow them to continue having influence but i mean it's like the whole thing's a fucking joke. Like it's entirely pre-sale there. There is no real objective basis for the consensus project other than the foundation like dictating things. And then we literally saw the Brightman's like, despite setting the foundation up to leave them with no influence over it, get into a legal shit fit (coughs) to try to insert themselves in the foundation in a position where they could directly control its funds. I mean, it's, it's fucking absurd.
2: Yeah, it's just hilarious because all these people who are saying like Bitcoin needs a governance layer and all this, or like cryptocurrencies can't work without a governance layer where you have like a human element, like you end up with people like this who have their own major governance problems. They can't even like, even even the, the Brightmans who are a couple, they can't get along. Like how, how hard is this people?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a... Uh... Yeah, it's hard work, man. It's hard work to keep uh, you know, incentives aligned. That's why it's like, you know, yeah. Let's just focus on Bitcoin stuff. It's like, yeah, it's uh, it's um it's it's a distraction and I mean like, you know, whatever goes on over there, I'm sure it's not going to be that uh, you know, technologically revolutionary when it comes to the way that banking's done. So, I'm not that interested in it, but yeah, it's like, you know, kind of like reap what you sow, you know. Let them wallow in it, play with it, see how they do. We'll catch up with them in three to six months.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know, let's slide along, I guess. Uh, in other news regarding overreaching, invasive bullshit, the CFTC is subpoenaing uh, Kraken, Coinbase, Itbit, and Bitstamp for trading data. Because, oh, market manipulation that might be affecting the CME Futures products. That doesn't happen. (laughs) But it's like, this is just completely fucking absurd. Like, these exchanges pretty much had uh, requests for their trade book for an entire day, all the trades, all of the people involved in the trades... A lot of which I imagine would like leak a lot of proprietary information, be sharing people's private information with third parties. And you know as uh, Jesse Powell from Kraken said, um, that this new invasive request for information and declared oversight by the CFTC has them questioning uh, you know what's the the value versus the cost here of them even participating in an index for a futures product like this. And I mean, it's like, this is, it's really fucking absurd. Like this is like, anytime somebody gets burned in a trade, they scream market manipulation. Like nobody will fucking take responsibility. You were wrong. Like, this is what trading is. You bet on something. If the outcome is different than what you bet, you lose money. This is how markets work. This is how trading works. And this is just particularly fucking insane and absurd that the CFTC is just demanding all of this private information from exchanges to deal with air quote, market manipulation. When you have people like Brian Kelly on CNBC, telling people how to buy the top on Ripple, And then oops, it crashed back. Here's how to sell the bottom on ripple. You have all of these fucking mainstream media articles just pushing out completely baseless bullshit. And instead of actually looking at media outlets that are just putting out false information, and actually attempting to manipulate markets, you you have them looking at the exchanges and the traders actually putting their fucking money where their mouth is, taking the risk and, and, and dealing with it. Like that's what happens. You put your money where your mouth is and what happens happens, you deal with the consequences. And it's especially fucking absurd. Guess what's back? That's right, more tether FUD. Hey, guess what, guys? What? what, What's that? The, the price went down and people buy Bitcoin with dollars? That's market manipulation. It's not the fucking completely biased and unfactual coverage by media outlets all over the country. No, no, no. It's people buying the asset that's manipulating the market. I mean, like, the, like the, this is the most batshit fucking crazy nonsense in the world. Tether is a USD proxy. We've seen investigators from BitMEX research literally tie bank activity in, in fucking, you know, Caribbean countries to, hey, guess what? That's Tether. Bitfinex has established banking relationships with ING in Europe. Like, the, there is money flowing in when tethers get printed because it's a lot more flexible in where it can move and facilitate liquidity for price discovery. But, oh my God, when people take their cash, put it on an exchange and buy something, that's market manipulation. Like th- this is fucking absurd. Like, it, it, like the people attempting to manipulate the markets are literally looking at traders and accusing them of what they're doing. It's ridiculous. Like this sentence here, Tether seems to be used to both stabilize and manipulate Bitcoin prices. Replace Tether with US dollars and see how that sentence reads. It is completely irrational. It is devoid of any logic or representation of reality in any way.
0: Well, you know, that's what they, they just like to go off of. Uh, you know, what's going on with the futures launch? The prices started to fall, and they said, "Oh well, everybody's uh, yeah, manipulating the price, and they're making their money." And you know, and the, I don't know. To me, it was like, yeah, there's a, there was a ton of news at the end of last year where it was just like every other day, I was getting a phone call or a text message from a relative talking about they had seen Bitcoin, they had heard about Bitcoin, Bitcoin's on the news all the time. And yeah, it was uh, it was definitely some moments there too, where it was just like very evident at a, of the manipulation as far as Brian Kelly buying Ripple at the top and selling at the bottom. And I, I, I don't know, to me, it is like, you know, like, let's turn a little bit of that focal point on to the media and see what happens but i mean like they don't want to talk about that they don't want to talk about media manipulating the way that people think because it's so necessary in the market to, to today you know it's really necessary that the people don't listen to their ideas and they listen to what's being told to them so yeah like uh you know the actual numbers and stuff of people buying and you know that that sort of stuff the the raw data they you know that's a uh, that's what they're going after. They don't want to go after the stuff that sort of, you know, steers people in the wrong direction. It's, uh, you know, it was uh, It's kind of upsetting to see from the CFTC. I guess they dialed it back a little bit in the information they're requesting, but still, like you're saying, I mean, it just needs to be kind of like a look on CNBC, Fast Money, like some of these guys, the way that they, uh, they're manipulating the markets. That's a lot more, you know, cut and dry. You could pretty much make the case in a court with somebody that, you know, a judge that has at least a fair balance on their head can see, like, okay, there's some manipulation going on here with the way that these prices have panned out and the coverage of your stories. And, yeah, you could look at that and you could see that manipulation. But, you know, whatever. Got to pull out Tether, man. It's like Tether's around. Got to talk about Tether.
2: Well, I think they're
3: confusing manipulation for uh, for. For activity, for what, yeah, the, the activity that's normal. The the it, like they're looking at Bitcoin through the lens of it being gold, right? So they think that it has certain implications against the VIX, the volatility index for the dollar. And like these things don't necessarily correlate, they they are in a state of flux. So I mean it, It's just it's silly to me to say that, like, this is what happened. No, there's a reason why people reacted in that way and that it's hard to say that that's manipulation because I know the general sentiment is that that there are certain things you want to do in the market if you're looking at Bitcoin as if it were gold. So I, I absolutely don't see any manipulation there in terms of the way that this happened. And it just looks like a complete fluff piece.
2: Also, what I find really interesting is, you know, the government is making, you know, regardless of whether they're true, they're making these claims of being suspicious of market manipulation, uh, specifically regarding Tether. Um, but wasn't there a Freedom of Information request that they made recently that they actually denied? That they said, no, we're not going to share this information because it might reveal sources and blah, blah, blah. Like, if they wanted to, you know, help the public out to, like, maybe stop some of this price manipulation and not get people fooled, if they're so worried about it, why don't they just tell us what they found in their investigation?
3: That's a very good point. That is an
0: excellent point.
2: like they clearly have some like insider knowledge here that they're not willing to share with us uh I mean, I think it would be relevant to whether there's you know any price manipulation going on. I think you know they should share that that result with us so that we can protect ourselves
3: well, i mean, otherwise,
2: it, <laughs> otherwise, I'm just gonna assume they're bullshitting,
3: yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the that's kind of where I'm coming from, so.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, what, like, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, what they've had them under, um, subpoena or something for a while now, something to where they've done some investigation and they, yeah, they can't let it all out. And so, you know, that's where, yeah, it's like, like uh, I don't know. Every time they bring up Tether and they're not really, you know, telling the whole story, it's, I don't know, it's pretty evident. I mean, it's like, you know, just, Start talking about your investigation, but they don't want to talk about that.
1: They have no interest in protecting consumers. Like, this is complete and utter fucking horseshit. What they want to do is they want to tag and identify traders. They want to start fucking harassing people. They want to start making the moves to lock people that they do not want in this market out of this market so that they can corner the entire price discovery mechanism. That's what they want to do. Like the idea that they're trying to protect traders, is complete and utter fucking horseshit.
0: Yeah. Just like trying to protect the U S citizen from allowing, not allowing them to invest in (laughs) some fortune 500 company, but allowing them to buy lottery tickets.
2: Oh, yeah. And also to all the DOJ sock puppets who are making these public offers of whistleblower protection to people from these exchanges, we see straight through you. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You want to protect consumers? What the fuck about,
1: um, you know, Coinbase and Bitcoin Cash? What about that? You know, it's, oh, what? Insider trading? Launching something out of fucking nowhere and directly manipulating the order book so that it can only be pushed in one direction. Here, like when, when we move to the next, you guys just want to move along to the next story here, yeah? Because you know they got a pro-
0: process, man. They got a process. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's here,
3: loading right now. So give give it give it some time. We'll probably have to circle
1: back on this in a week or so. No, but it's like, you know, you guys remember the launch. Like people who were trying to sell. Nope, your order is not going through. I'm sorry. We're only going to let buys go through. Order book wiped out multiple times and fucking reset when things start going the other way. Well, hey, now they're going to start listing Ethereum Classic over the next few months. Another fork that they completely fucked up with and are just kind of throwing on here now. And I'm betting that this is solely to do with the fact that Ethereum is an unscalable shit show that is imploding on itself. And you know, Ethereum Classic is the same architecture and likely to deal with a lot of the same problems, but their team has at least been a lot more cautious in approaching things and not just hand-waving away the fundamental problems. But oh my God, what is this blog post? It's literally nothing but just look at us. We're not, or no, whoops one. Look at us. We're following procedures. We're being completely transparent. There is no insider trading here. Here is exactly the process where we'll list them on Coinbase Pro slash GDAX. Allow liquidity to build up. You'll see the APIs become available slowly as we integrate things. We're not going to allow it on Coinbase unless liquidity requirements on GDAX are met first. Look at us. We're being responsible despite the fact that they did the exact fucking opposite with Bitcoin Cash. Like, they, like it, it is fucking absurd. They literally were manipulating the order books to only allow buys to go through, to push the price up to almost three times what it was on every other fucking market. Is the CFTC looking into this? No. Is any fucking government regulatory agency looking into this or taking this seriously? No. We want the Bitcoin trading data from these exchanges. We want the Bitcoin traders identity because people trading, when there's a futures market based on it, oh, we're gonna call that manipulation. They are completely and utterly full of fucking shit. This has nothing to do with consumer protection. This has nothing to do with market integrity. This is solely about cornering the markets And walling out the people they don't want participating. End of story.
0: Yeah. I mean, because I don't know their process on this asset, ETC, started a long time ago when the forecap and like they were very staunchly against ETC and they weren't going to. I mean, that was a case where it was like, um, were you going to give your. People that had a Ethereum, were you going to give them ETC or was it like soon after that they launched Ethereum on their platform? I, I just know that like this has been a long time running this process on this asset, ETC. Like this, there was, they took a firm stance whenever it first came about, the Ethereum ETC fork. And uh, they were very much with the Ethereum Foundation on running that, you know. Ethereum was Ethereum and this thing nobody cared about. So it's not a point in listing it or anything. And now, you know, they're coming up to list it. So I don't know. There's been a long process in this particular asset.
2: I mean, I'm surprised it didn't happen sooner because, you know, Barry, I believe Digital Currency Group is invested in Coinbase as it is in a lot of companies. And Barry Silbert is a huge fan of ETC. That was literally the first tweet that he made (laughs) when he came back uh, after being, you know, on hiatus because of, you know, the fallout of Segwit2x. His first tweet back was about how he was making an investment fund and it was going to have ETC. And I don't know if it was in the same tweet, but he mentioned ETC and um, Zcash were the top two that he was focusing on. So, not surprised at all. I'm actually surprised it took Coinbase this long to add it, considering all of the influencing factors. Um, but for anybody who is not familiar with what happened with uh, the launch or the inclusion of uh, Bcash on Coinbase way back in and i think december uh we actually did an episode on that 65 with uh the mallers um and they were commenting on that so if you're not familiar with that event you can check back on that episode shinobi if you want to show it mm, yeah i put i put
1: the uh the link in the uh the chat for everybody watching now and it's just if you go through the channel it's uh, episode number 65 but um yeah <laughs> it is as, as far as uh The Ethereum classic itself, and not me getting filled with rage (laughs) about what the government considers market manipulation. Like, this is just so transparently a response to the litany of just completely unsolvable scaling issues on Ethereum. Like, you know, Brian Armstrong is a complete Ethereum fanboy. And despite the entire company literally being built on Bitcoin, making the vast majority of its money on Bitcoin. He has done everything he can to undermine Bitcoin and attempt to shove Ethereum to the forefront as the solution to the world's financial problems and the tool that will bank the unbanked. And it's just, it's not going to work. It is a fundamentally unscalable system, unscalable architecture. And they've dumped way too much fucking money into building out products and services reliant on this. So really, the the only alternative is Ethereum Classic. And I mean, in the long term, it's going to face the same kind of fundamental problems. But the team has actually been a lot more careful and long term in their thinking about how to handle them. And they don't just hand wave away the problems with a bunch of nonsensical buzzwords like boy, genius, Vitalik. They're actually trying to solve them. And so it's, it's really the only option considering how much money they've sunk into the Ethereum ecosystem. Like most of the things are going to be portable or able to be made compatible with Ethereum Classic. They have to hedge that. Otherwise, every cent that they've sunk into that ecosystem is just burned money in them.
0: Yeah, Ethereum, man, that is—it's gonna be—I don't know—it's one of those things where such a long time ago, it's like feels like just like man, just don't even really pay attention to it. Where now it's like, I don't know, it is like kind of like just a case study, or so like you gotta follow it along all the way through its little process. And I mean, like right now, it's like you know they're running up against another fork, and they're trying to figure out what to do with their buddies at Parity, and you know, I mean it is one of those things where maybe the market will start to flip back towards this idea that Ethereum should be immutable. And, you know, maybe it'll start going that direction. And I I don't know, it's just like, uh, you know, I'm just thinking Ethereum's got a road in front of it. And, you know, ETC is going to be something that people will look at and say, you know, maybe this is an answer or, you know, maybe this is something it's, I don't know. It's going to be a while, I guess, before we actually see Ethereum, I guess finish or whatever to where it finally runs to its course. I don't know how long that'll be. I mean, I used to think it wasn't going to take that long, but now I'm starting to wonder if it's going to happen in my lifetime. It's, it's,
1: it's, it's really not the, the immutability that's the issue. It's just, it's not a scalable platform. Like if anybody hasn't read it already, go read stop and decrypt's pieces on ethereum scaling and sharding and proof of stake like it is it is nonsense it is not yeah. going to be able to scale as a coherent system right and and,
0: i'm sorry i was just gonna say like yeah you're right on that i like uh i was just gonna say yeah that that article from Stop and decrypt was really on point when it says like you know ethereum's got scaling issues
1: and I mean, it's like, it's like Coinbase is just a fucking shit show of stupidity. And I mean, you know, if you just look at everything that they've been doing, it's just scatter shots. Like, let's try everything and, and something will work eventually. And now it's it's even gotten to that point with all of their attempts to push Ethereum as an actual viable solution to anything.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, it's... Uh... While all that stuff's going on, we got amazing lightning Satoshi's place and, you know, things that developed that are, you know, I don't know. That, that, that's where I'm like really excited because it's like we're seeing real scaling solutions at the same time that, you know, anything that pops up is going to give show the scaling issues with Ethereum. So at that same time, we can say like, yep, yeah, but look at what's going on with lightning and, you know, all this stuff that's, uh you know, it's good for the system.
1: So still got the bad there.
3: Come on, Acnex. Oh, dude, I can't I can't get in. It's, people still have to digest
1: the uh oh, There's no way you have nothing to say about Ethereum Classic.
3: Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting now that the code base has started to diverge from Ethereum. So, you know, like I, I it, it's it had to go proof of work and now it's gone proof of work. That's interesting. Um I don't know. I, I I haven't actually looked at the code too carefully recently. I've just kind of observed the repo and seen some of this the changes, but uh it's a really interesting dynamic just considering that like there's incentives at play there and I think that we're learning what Bitcoin and blockchain really is. And as that becomes more innate, I think that we'll have to see that, that change in these two coins. Um, But like I said, that manipulation thing we were talking about earlier, right? Like (laughs) uh, these things are kind of tangentially related. And uh, I didn't want to blow any more minds. That's why I wasn't going to talk about it. But I mean, that, that's that's uh, uh, it's interesting. And, and this, is, this is where it all kind of comes to a head.
1: Well, yeah, I mean like the, the entire like, birth of Ethereum Classic was literally in the midst of insane market manipulation. Like you had not only the Ethereum Foundation and a lot of people there with their personal holdings dumping the shit out of it. You literally had Vitalik and the foundation attempting to convince all of the exchanges to not list it despite an insane amount of community support for it and lack of consensus on the entire hard fork for the doubt. Like the, the their entire response was literally, no, everybody's fine with this. Don't list it and, and it'll just die. And, and, and we don't have to worry about, you know, the marketplace dealing with everything. Like just, just don't list it.
0: That was like some of the most insane time, really, like, uh, just like the, you know, just seeing the Dow and then like seeing the fork coming up and then seeing all the press releases as far as like, you know, well, you know, we've run our, uh, our, you know, our little vote and we've got like 60% support, 63%, I think it was. So, yeah, we're going with Ethereum. Nobody's going to mess with ETC it's uh it's old news it's uh it's the dead chain nobody's going to touch it and then i think it was just like it was just like minutes after it's like something's like oh well poloniex is listing it and it's just like uh all of a sudden people were buying it and it was uh it was kind of our that was a pretty crazy time but yeah it was definitely a lot of um manipulation going on there when it came to you know, the vote and the way that they, you know, the Ethereum foundation wanted this thing and, you know, they were going to get it through however possible and they did it. And I mean, that's why they have ETC and, you know, uh, yeah, the Dow is also just like a good case study for, you know, whenever a problem comes up and, you know, what, what could happen when you have like a centralized group of people that are responsible for all these funds and, that's what happens. And, you know, they get bailed out and now you've got two chains and it's uh, that was a hell of a time. It was like a month or so where it was just like, yeah, you would see somebody say something and then you could see the data was kind of going a different direction. And
1: it was an interesting time. Mm hmm. I guess I don't know. slide along into other Coinbase news. Um their weighted index fund is officially open for investors now and uh, we now instead of just buying Bitcoin and getting direct exposure to that you can buy a share in their index fund whether they water it down with shit coins that they choose to list or not based on their proportion of market cap so we can make less money in the long term and they can rake in fees. I mean, like this is literally the fucking like the stupidest thing in the world, and, and you know, and I think Kevin Fam actually posted on Twitter like, "Where's my product to short this? Like, I, I want that product. I want to be able to short this."
2: Yeah, and I I noticed um I noticed Ethereum Classic is going to be included. I did not expect that at all. No, mm-hmm. didn't see that it's, coming.
1: It's again them trying to hedge their bets now that they've sunk so much capital into like ethereum like it's it's either pivot to something that's actually going to be sustainable and compatible or they've just burned all of that money
0: yeah i don't know what what to say about another index fund and something else from conbase other than yeah like uh luck with it i mean i don't know i'm not even really good luck with it anymore at this point it's just like golly yeah kind of sick of all this con based nonsense but like the ethereum thing i don't know how much it's gonna run its
1: course for a long time i'm guessing i mean it's like it's literally they're just looking to fleece people for as much money as they can and i mean it's like the, the, the entire company was built on Bitcoin, generated most of its revenue through Bitcoin, and yet they seem to be dead set on attempting to undermine it as much as possible. It's like it, it is the most short sighted, like irresponsible fucking nonsense ever. I mean, like here, we, we've spent a year now or more pitching this completely broken, unscalable piece of shit. And now when there's finally some realization going on internally, very likely this isn't going to work, we'll just pivot to the the slightly more fucking rational version of that. I mean, it's like the, that company is literally like, it, it is nothing but bankers just attempting to slip in here and subvert things at this point. Like circling the drain. Like I, like I want to, the ability to deposit Bitcoin to Square Cash so that I can cut my shift card up and just be done with this company already.
0: We need a name for these companies that sit on the cusp of the event horizon of a drain that's just going down. <laughs> they just sit right there on the edge. Turds. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> says so there, that's what they are. conbase the turd.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I don't know. I guess the uh, last story, I guess the least punch and uh, probably getting me the least agitated. Uh, Apple is apparently um, banning any kind of mining application in their app store. (laughs) And I mean, this is, this is like the most ridiculous, silly thing in the world. Like I cannot... Can't like, even get a Bitcoin ticker on an Apple phone, huh? Like, first of all, like, what are you doing telling people that they cannot use their hardware for what they want for it? I mean, like it, it like just this kind of walled garden setup <laughs> it is infuriating. like it is my hardware. I should be able to do with it whatever the hell I want. And secondly, What the fuck would people even do this for in the first place? Like there is like almost no coin out there that you could actually profitably mine on a smartphone or an iPad. Like my desktop with a fucking pretty hefty graphics card and all four cores of its CPU going would would barely make a few dollars in Monero in in a fucking month. What the hell are you going to be mining on a smartphone for?
2: Apple coin. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm not really surprised. I mean, it's kind of the business model of Apple to make their devices as restrictive as possible. And in some ways... For some people, that is a benefit because it means there's a slightly lower chance that a malicious application is going to make it onto their device. That's part of their security model. Uh, On the other hand, Apple is just very protective about the things that it allows into its ecosystem because it has this brand of being super clean, white, hipster, and it can't, it doesn't want to you know, change that. So I'm not surprised. I'm surprised that people were trying to mine things on an Apple phone.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. Like, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not the surprise that Apple is going to say that this is not good for you. you you're you going to not do this and we're not going to let you. But I mean, like I, I was looking at this and I was just thinking like, uh, you know, there's that story that comes through like every few months about somebody losing money on a Polo app that's not really Poloniacs. And I mean, like, I was just thinking maybe they're banning all these apps just to try and avoid somebody from losing money. But yeah, it is a lot of uh, decision making for people. So it's, uh, yeah, that's, I don't know. I've always stayed away from Apple because I don't like them telling me I can or can't do something. So, but, you know, yeah, I could imagine... I don't know, maybe in the future where there's like, yeah, there's Apple Pay and Android Pay. It's like we're going to have to have our own little, you know, rooted little phones that can uh, run our Bitcoin apps. I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's Apple, man. They got their walled gardens.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's like, you know, mining on a smartphone is a retarded idea. But hey, who who the fuck are you to tell somebody they can't do something retarded with their own hardware? like they bought it it's theirs
0: yeah they don't want it to be they want you to, they don't even want you to own it they want you to lease it and not buy it outright uh but was that it for today or was, was there some more going down
1: <sighs> nope that's about it honestly kind of a lackluster news period
0: yeah. You know, uh, it's like, uh, like people are all in wallow over the price, I guess. I don't know. They just don't want to, you know, but I mean, like, honestly, that's Satoshi's place. And, you know, just the idea of like, you know, a lightning network, uh, phone system where you can avoid spam that way. I mean, like there's real interesting developments. It's just, you know, it's not all the hype and pizzazz of running through 20 K and stuff. So yeah.
2: Shinobi, didn't you mean to say the show, the, sh- the news for today was a bit flaccid?
0: <laughs> yeah all right
1: uh, well, I, I have you your... want to go into thoughts yes, yes I, I have your preloaded thought prepared
2: <laughs> I, I, I put it in the news desk specifically so we wouldn't miss it so uh, this is a documentary that just came out um, by Tomer he, um, he's made a number of Bitcoin documentaries probably the best one uh, would be the I am Satoshi one I, can't, I think that was the title. I can't remember the title. It's really good. You'll find it on I Am, the I Am Satoshi YouTube channel. Um, but this one is specifically about Kenya, and uh, he spent five days in Kenya and was looking and interviewing people about the different types of financial services that are available, especially the ones that are very local and community run. And he also, towards the end of the documentary, was asking like, how would Bitcoin be integrated into this? He was also asking people in Kenya who already use Bitcoin, um, some for a number of years, um, how it worked out for them and how they, what work they were doing to get it um, adopted by more people in Kenya. So it's a very interesting documentary. I would definitely me- recommend watching it.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna give that a watch
1: Mm mm-hmm all right acnix rick you guys got any final thoughts
0: i don't have a final thought link loaded other than just to you know final thought i was thinking about doing this last week i'll say it this week is uh you know tuck and roll like uh that's kind of a weird final thought but it's like um you know whenever you're going through life, there's moments where things kind of take a dip and whenever they do, you know, you can kind of see like things ahead of you are kind of becoming problems. When that happens, man, just tuck and roll. Cause yeah, things start to get rough. Like, you know, things go in trends and sometimes that trend takes a dip. And when it does, it's like, you know, I know that, uh, you know, you guys watching, I've missed a few weeks and, um, coming back. It's like, uh, I moved and then I, I, Had some family come visit and then I dislocated a finger and it was like all that move and the family visit was supposed to be like this really fun time, but it was busy. And then I dislocated a finger and then I got a tragedy in the family to where I had to go back down to Louisiana to visit my family. And then on the way back home, I caught bronchitis and but the bronchitis is going away. The finger is moving again. And, you know, it's all really because I kind of had this system in place of like a routine and taking care of myself and, you know, working with the digest crew here and stuff. And, you know, when you start to see that dip happening, just tuck and roll and just like kind of get through it. And then, uh, you know, on the other side, just try and bounce back up because, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those things where over the past month I've kind of been going through some stuff and it's just like, man, what can I take away from this? It's just like, you know, whenever things get rough, just, you know, kind of just tuck in and roll into it and try and come out the other side as quick as possible. So no link, but that's a final thought.
2: Shinobi, we need, we need that hugging bear gif again because literally it's of a guy rolling into a bear. Tuck and roll into the bear. Yeah,
1: that's <laughs> it. I have an <laughs> image planned already and it is not. No. <laughs> yes, yeah, tuck and roll into the bear too, guys. Acnex, cough up a thought. Come on.
0: All right.
1: All right.
3: Final thought. There's manipulation, and then there's manipulation.
1: All right. And I guess, um, sorry for any audio-only listeners, my thought is an image. I guess you'll have to go look at the last bit on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) On that note... uh, We will see you guys Sunday. I think we are officially moving uh, Saturday to Sunday from now on. So catch you guys then. Later, everyone. Peace.